You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Psyched by MG. This is Mary Grace Randazzo Ratliff, or MG for short. I've been a psychotherapist in private practice for 32 years now. Guess what, everyone? We all have issues. So it's time to lighten up and move forward. Let's stop letting our crap control us and take control of our crap. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome. We're so glad to be here tonight. We've got Matthew Burrito just came in, and we've got Barbara Mangami. Hello, guys. Hey, hey everyone. How are Hi, you? Everyone. Hey, 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 Matt. Hey, Hi, everyone. Hey, Hi, Barbara. How, Hi, how is everyone doing this week? Um, if there was another work day in this week, you'd have to commit me. So how about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hear you. Oh my God. It's been busy. It's been busy. And uh, yes. how are you doing, Barbara? Um, I think I am doing much better this week than I was last week. Oh, I have my energy back, but it's been intense as well. Um, mm. Lots of people to take care of. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It, it really, uh, lots of referrals. Um, people who are coming in a lot of anxiety issues, uh, anxieties, you know, becoming pretty typical in regards to referrals right now. People are stressed. Um, people are requesting, you know, sessions, you know, before and after the election. Um, wouldn't you agree, Matthew? It's pretty, uh, it's, you know, and I mean, yeah, it's just intense. I mean, that's the, the word that I, I mean, I think everywhere, I think in, personally, spiritually, this is an intense time for all of us. And I think, you know, like we were talking before and even just modeling to our listeners is that, you know, sometimes asking permission to be vulnerable, it's like, it's such a nice way to just de-escalate our own anxiety and stress and frustration. Because then once we have permission, we can just let our hair down and just be, just be ourselves and relax. So, yep. Yep. But yeah, yep. I definitely agree. It's 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 tense right now. And 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 Matt, you have to give a shout out to Monica because she's Hi Monica. <laughs> hey Monica. She's, she's on and we're we're of course always happy when Monica joins us. Always excited. Um and and uh, you know Monica when all this covid crap is over with, we got to have you do some cooking. Yes. Because I hear, oh, yeah, Barbara just raves and raves Whoa, about down. what oh. an amazing, amazing cook you are. Um, and, uh, you know, our number one, number one fan. You know, we're, we're, we're going to talk about the caregivers today. Um, oh, but before we do. <laughs> oh, boy. You can find us, Psyched by MG, uh, at Podcast Detroit, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, of course, Facebook Live, um, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, just uh, put in Psyched by MG and you will find us. Um, and we definitely, you know, we, we need your clicks, guys. We really do. We, we're here for you. We, we want to hear from you, um, because we care about what everybody's going through, especially right now. Uh, and we want to, um, hear more from you, uh, so that we can orient our shows 
towards what people really want. So um, please click subscribe, uh, send me a comment um, so uh, that we can all, you know, uh, be in this together and uh, support you 100%. Um, oh, and you can catch Barbara Mangami. Where, Barbara? You can catch me as your generic African auntie on Google Podcast, on Anchor, Spotify, and about eight other platforms. Wherever you get your podcast, yeah. if you search for generic African auntie, you will get me. Yes. And I'm about to start posting some really interesting thing. I've been on a really interesting journey. So, yeah, yep. if you want to yep. get to know me a little more, yes. yeah, please tune in and come and say hi. Yes. Um, well, we, this week, you know, definitely want to reach the caregivers, um, the codependents, uh, you know, the people who tirelessly, you know, take care of family members, disabled, um, nurses, uh, therapists, you know, doctors, anybody in that giving field, um, we, we want to reach these people and especially those, um, who care give to the point where they don't have a self, uh, that they're always on for other people. Um, and in some ways they go on like an automatic pilot. Um, and you know, even when you ask this type of person and we call, I'm going to call this person the codependent, uh, what do they need? A lot of the times they can't, they can't answer. They can't tell you. Um, and so we're going to explore, um, ways in which for that over-functioning codependent caretaker, uh, to take care of themselves and to figure out how to do that. Um, because I know in all the years in working with clients that, um, when you turn to somebody who is, is in a lot of ways detached from themselves and overly attached to other people, again, they don't know what their wants, their needs, their limits, their no's are, and you have to help them to define what they are in order to take care of themselves. So, um, I just, I have a special place in my heart for these people and I want to reach them tonight and uh definitely give um them our our united profound wisdom um and we're all you know you're talking to three you know big caregivers codependents um yes empaths <laughs> recovering codependent <laughs> yes recovering codependents here here i'm one uh, right here i am one yeah um and uh we, we join you, it, you know, it's the big hearted person. The thing that makes it hard for that person is they do nice things for other people and they get, you know, praise for that. And so it becomes scary to then have a self in the relationship and, um, and to navigate through the journey where you should be loved for being who you are, not just by what you do and give and produce for someone else. And Right. And sorry yep. to interrupt you, Mary Grace. You know, uh, just hearing you say that, I literally had a flash of my own life. And mm -hmm. again, a lot of this codependent behavior is learned, mm -hmm. right? 
Yep. So it is learned. If you grow up in a culture where from the time you're five years old as a girl, your job is to take care of everybody. Everybody. Uh, It starts with little things like you're five years old. Get your brother some water. Go get your uncle a cup of tea. Go and hand Auntie so and so this plate. Before you know it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a programming that happens to mm-hmm. the extent that as you're growing up, all you're doing is serving other people before yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. You don't yep. even really know yep. that there's a self to serve. No, no. You know what I no, mean? you don't. And so by the time you are married, again, there are roles. There's an expectation that you're the caregiver. You're the mom who's going to be in charge of everybody and everyone else. And so you go through that phase where you're raising your children. And like that actually, even if you come from a society that doesn't emphasize girls being caregivers, and I don't know many societies that don't currently. I think mm-hmm. all of them are kind of geared mm-hmm. to ensure that women have it ingrained in them that yeah. they are the primary caregivers, so to speak. Yes. And so yes. by the time you're having your children, you've really already lost yourself. Mm-hmm. Because in my culture, most women are coming straight out of their mm-hmm. father's or parents' home into, uh, into a marriage or relationship mm-hmm. in what is considered another man's home. Mm-hmm. And along that yeah. way, it's just a series of roles where you are taking care of people. Now, you grow up being told this is how you take care of a good wife takes care of her husband like this a good mm-hmm. wife takes care of the home like this a good mother takes care of her children like this it's always about anyone in my language there isn't in my language there actually aren't words for self-care mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they aren't yeah. there is no concept oh, or idea of loving yourself it doesn't exist mm-hmm. as a concept and so you're loving others That's the thing to do. And it's funny because when I had my awakening and I realized that I was going down really quickly, it's one thing to have that kind of uh, 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 tradition in a place where, for example, kids are taken care of by a village. Mm -hmm. It's quite another to have that level of intensity Mm -hmm. of you're the mom and you're out here where there is no community support. Mm -hmm. You go down really, really quickly. And I yeah. got sick, as you know, Mary Grace. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. Because not only was I taking care of my kids, and then I was taking care of in-laws, and then I was taking care of my own mom. It, it got to be too much. Yeah, yeah. Without support. That's and right. so that's when it became very clear to me that I needed to learn what this whole self-care business was. Because I yeah. was hearing it. Self-care, yeah. yeah. self-care that... And I was being told things that felt alien to me, like, you're not selfish if you decide, do not disturb, I need an hour to myself. I'm like, yes, what? yes. Having really? wants and needs do does not make you selfish. Right. And yeah. so I had, as an adult, after having four kids already, had to learn what self-care looked like. Mm-hmm. I had to learn not to feel guilty for mm-hmm. taking care of myself and for setting boundaries yeah. and making them fast boundaries and enforcing them. Yes. And I did get called selfish. Because mm-hmm. remember, I come from a people who are not used to a woman who does this kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I was called selfish. I was called mm-hmm. narcissistic at some yeah. point. Yeah. I was called all kinds of names. Mm-hmm. And I realized very quickly that the reason I was being called these names was in order for me to go back and to drop those boundaries and to go back to the barber that made everybody else comfortable at her own expense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about codependency. It's not that you're being told, don't love others. What you're being told is you have to love yourself first so that 
you can help others in a healthy way. Because that constant giving and giving isn't good for the people you're giving and it certainly isn't good for you either. Yep, yep. Because people treat you, you teach people how to treat you. Right, right. And so you got to have to kind of work backwards and take that power back. Yeah. Get into yourself and then give out the healthy doses of love without totally mm-hmm. depleting you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you that's know, what I had to learn. You you hit something so important and 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 as I describe this, I, I want to say to Monica's nephew Jeremiah, Hello. How are you, honey? Um <laughs> I so it's you know, codependency, it's rooted in childhood. A person grows up in a home where their emotions are ignored or punished. Ignored or punished. So their value is based on what they do give for others. And so if their needs show up or if their limits show up or if their feelings show up, they feel guilt. They feel like they're burdening people. And they get anxiety over this. And it's so sad because what happened, Barbara, like you so beautifully explained, in childhood, that's a big, huge mistake. You don't, you don't want your son, your daughters especially, to, to be oriented to not have a self, to just basically serve. They'll get sick, physically sick emotionally sick. They'll be drained. Codependents at a certain point in their life function in resentment. Mm-hmm. And then what's so unfortunate is it gets to the point where they're so empty that they're so angry and resentful that they make passive aggressive jabs, that they, they complain constantly. And then they're labeled a bitch. And it's like, wait a minute, let's back up. How long has this person been in service as a servant? How many people are paying attention to that person? Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about the borderline here. And we've talked many times about personality disorders, disorders. I'm talking about the worn out caretaker, the worn out person who is constantly giving and giving and giving. And they have no self left. You know what? I want to back that up. They didn't have a self to begin with. That's right. And exactly. What they we don't know any concept of self. No. And in, in therapy, which Matthew and I face this all the time, is we have to slowly help them gradually to begin to see what we're saying and to figure out ways to have a self. Because there, there's one thing I want to get to with codependency, and, and Matthew, you're probably going to grab on this one, is... We have to understand there's a physiological aspect to codependency. That person who is such a big caregiver walks into the room and, and I, we've talked about relating being an empath connected to codependency, which I think is very important to understand. But when they walk into that room, they feel and know immediately that there's a stress and where the problems are. They're out of their body. And they're on the other person and they're, and they're nervous and they're adrenaline and their brain starts running to do the analysis. What's going on? What's happening to you? Oh my gosh, how long has this been happening? And they know, they learn from a young age, the sequence of questions 
on how to get on that problem for that person and figure out that problem. And it's so, it, there's so much adrenaline and anxiety connected to that, that to the caretaker and to the codependent, one of the first things I say is, I want you to be aware of that when you're in a room, whether it's one person or a group, I want you to notice your nervousness, your anxiety, and I need you to take a deep breath. And sometimes there, if you're, if you're immersed in so much connectedness to other people, go to the bathroom. Take a breather. Go out to the car. You forgot something. Whatever it is, go and slow down. Work with your physical body to slow down the pressure inside because it is a pressure. And breathe so that you can ask yourself what you need. And then tell yourself you are not responsible for their well-being. You do not have the ability to fix anyone. There is a difference between fixing and supporting. So whatever you well, feel, I think you, yeah, just one second, Matthew. Whatever is going on yep. in that room, you support, but you let them stay with it to deal with it, right, Matthew? Yeah, no, I was just, I, I agree wholeheartedly, and I think part of it is, you know, we talked, Mary Grace, too, about you know the fragmented self, yes, and. You know, part of it is if, you know, someone who takes on the role and that's what's so painful and, you know, as you know, is doing the work with um, individuals is that the pain isn't so much from, you know, the, the idea that, you know, oh, you know, I've, it's not so much the actions as it is acknowledging that they, what they've actually been doing. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that, you know, kind of trying to remove the fragments so that they feel whole. And also part of it is, like you said, going into the room and not feeling like you have to seek external validation mm -hmm. from and feel competency mm -hmm. from actually being responsible, like you said, and feeling to responsible others. for the needs of everyone else. Yes. And so yes. part of that comes from that external validation. Mm -hmm. So if I can heal anyone in here and I can meet anyone's needs. And I think there's a big difference. And I say this to, you know, um, when I, uh, working in the prison and saying, it's like, listen, I'm here to serve, but I'm not your servant. Yes. And there's a big difference. And I think the, you know, the kind of the stark contrast when you get into the being the servant that gets into that kind of severe codependency where you know the denial exists and conflict between selves exist and you know the yeah. person and you know we've obviously seen we're in work with people that you know the self fragments often to so many selves mm -hmm. that sometimes you know again trying to piece that back together yeah and help yeah. them understand like you said is that when was the last time that you asked yourself what you need yeah. When was the yeah. last time that you said to yourself or said to someone else, no? Yeah. Right. And not feel like you were damaging them or there was, you know, it was lethal and it was going to kill you to say no. Yeah. Right. And, and that and is, said this before me too, yeah. is that, you know, when, if you can say no to somebody or you can have needs and somebody responds mm -hmm. in a healthy way to that, then you know you have someone who's also like empathic and compassionate. Yes. And right? not and narcissistic. Also, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and but I to kind of understand, you know, I'm listening to you guys, and I love what you're saying about you know this this sort of fragmentation that you guys are talking about. The thing about it too is though, speaking from experience, personal experience, you got to remember that there is almost an existential crisis when you finally have to face the fact that your entire identity is based on. I'm not even going to say service is based on being a servant, right? So for example, this idea that you walk into a room and, and it is known that, you know, as soon as Barbara shows up, everybody's going to be taken care of, right? Mm -hmm. If you are in my home, everybody would love to, everybody used to love to come to our house Mm -hmm. because I was a great hostess. The food was on point, Mm -hmm. everything, you know, and everybody was taken care of. Mm-hmm. And so when your entire identity is built around that, like if somebody were to ask you, who are you? The mm-hmm. common responses from somebody who was in my shoes would be, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, uh, I'm a daughter. So all the service things, mm-hmm. when, when in actual fact, the question, those are not me. Those things are the roles mm-hmm. that I play, the roles mm-hmm. that I get into. But that doesn't necessarily define who I am. And so when the question comes, like, who are you? I want to get to know you, the essence of you. Mm-hmm. That's really scary mm-hmm. because that's not a question that you would have ever asked yourself under any circumstances because you didn't even know there was such a question to ask, yeah. right? Yeah. Your sister, your mom, your auntie, yeah. your wife, your, your all these things. Is yeah. that how you define yourself, Yeah. right? And it's, it's, it's and always I, interesting. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, finish, Barbara. I wanted to hear that that last part. No, I was oh. just going to say it's very interesting how sometimes um, this idea that your 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 identity is built on something outside of yourself and something that you get praised for and something that because when every time you're taking care of people come the the, the adulation. Oh, she's the amazing, isn't she? Yep. Such a wonderful person. She's so maternal. She's so this. Mm-hmm. Try to do the opposite of that. And like you said, you get called, you're selfish, you are this, you're that. And so people do the things where they get rewarded, mm-hmm. even if it's to their own detriment, mm-hmm. especially when you're young and you're a kid. You learn mm-hmm. very quickly where the praise comes. And so you do those behaviors until it becomes mm-hmm. it becomes your narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, right? it, it, you're hitting on something that is so important. And, and you know, people will say to me, how have you been in the field for 30 something years and I will tell them I learned in after the first five or six um, how important it was that if I didn't keep my tank full I didn't have anything for anybody else if you if you don't keep your tank abundant you do not have abundance to give other people And the second wisdom that I learned is when you keep the tank full and you have a self, you can give more to other people and you can be there for more people. You do know your limits and then you, you are there and you're also there clear minded. You're not on an automatic pilot when you give and there is to codependency and caretaking, an automatic pilot that can happen where you're just constantly just focused on the task and getting it done and checking off the list. And you're a robot. And you are not accurate when you're in that place. 
you think you are. You think you're a superhuman, but you are not. And you won't realize it until you stop doing that. You know, several years ago, uh, I can't remember how long now, um, I was doing a startup. And uh, I, for some reason, gave away control of what I was doing. You know, people were interested in, in a cycle. I did an app that was, you know, pretty successful. And so I went into technology and uh, I went into a world of the startup world, which I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know what a pitch was anything. But anyway, um, but I let everyone lead me and tell me what to do and how to do it and when to do it. And I let go of the reins and I just became this little servant. You know, whatever somebody told me, I did. And I was seeing clients and I was doing a startup. And I was, remember, Barbara, I was writing my book. I remember. And I was starting to have panic attacks again. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, really? You're going to give me panic attacks now when I've got so much shit on my plate and I'm trying to perform at, at, at high levels? I was really pissed in my body, but the wonderful part of the body. Oh, and then that's when I got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I, I looked up, I said, are you fucking kidding me? I'm working hard here. And, and it was the best, most beautiful divine intervention because it threw me down and it said, girl, you better get connected to yourself and you better know what your wants and your needs and your limits and your nose are because we're going to scare the shit out of you. Now, I was very fortunate. My tumor is a benign tumor. My tumor is fine. I, you know, I'm good. Didn't need brain surgery. Thank God. Um, but it definitely made me reevaluate myself. And so I picked up the reins again and I took real control. And I'm, I'm saying this slowly for a reason, because caretakers and codependents, we have a need for control and to be in control, but it's the wrong kind. It's control of the lists. It's control of the tasks. It's control of how well we do the tasks for other people. But in reality, you're out of control. True control comes from knowing yourself and knowing what you want and what you need and what your limits are and your feelings and tending to that so that you will always have something in the pot to make a clear decision and to function from wisdom, not a place of detachment. And yes, are people going to have to adjust? You bet your butt. And they should. Why? Because when you are codependent, you have somebody that's dependent and they don't grow up. That's it. You enable them to stay, stay dependent. You perform for them. You think for them. We, we get pissed about that they don't grow up, but we're a part of why they don't grow up. And tough love is just as important. It's still love and knows and wants and limits and needs. Teach everybody in that group that everybody is important in that group. There is no one that is a servant. And has no value. And that's so freaking important to remember as the caretaker, as the codependent. You aren't helping anyone by overperforming. And I can, I can hear in my head those people who are taking care of somebody in their home who's disabled, who's, you know, needing medical help and aid all the time and 24-7. 
And this kind of caretaker, I want you to listen to me. It takes a village. It takes a village. Get, let people come in and help you. Do not believe you're the only person. There are people, you know, whether it's, I had a, a friend of mine who was dealing with Alzheimer's and a parent and she was trying to do everything. And I said, call the Alzheimer's society, get help, get support. Don't isolate. You cannot do it all alone. No one can. And I think that that's so freaking important. I had to learn that lesson. Look at, you know, my body knocked me on my ass. My body did too. I was sick for three years. Yes. That was my body saying, you know what? We're not doing this anymore. Yes. We're not. So yes. we're going to lay you out flat on your back and everybody else is going to learn to take care of themselves. Yes. And let them grow up. Let them grow up. It People, it won't, you know, they won't crumble. And if they get mad, that's okay. That's a part of the growing process. If they get frustrated, if they try to manipulate you, look at that manipulation and set a limit with it. Now, it's easy to say, and for those that are listening... You, you have to start slow and you have to start with, you have to become aware of what kind of anxiety you have when you're around other people. You have to become aware of what is your brain doing when you walk in that room? How, how quickly do you nod and say yes to something that you should be saying no to? Or you don't even know that it's a no because you never took the time to figure out, do I want to do this right now? Can I? How tired am I? Is the answer no? My husband taught me that. When we first moved into our neighborhood, the guys, I, I was so, it, it was a, it was a wealthier neighborhood and, and, and I came from poverty. And so I was insecure and nervous. I didn't even know it. And so when we all got together, you know, in a group, you know, they wanted to do all these different things for the neighborhood and, and they're like, Mary Grace, can you do this? And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. My husband pulled me aside when we left and he said, honey, first of all, do you want to do any of those things? And I'm like... I don't know. I don't know. He's like, yeah, you don't know because you answer so fast. You don't even ask yourself. He said, second, you got a husband here. <laughs> did you, did you want to ask me if I wanted to do all those things? Well, I didn't ask him. I was on automatic pilot. And he said, look it, you got me for an excuse. Buy some time. Just buy some time. Say, you know what? I'll get back to you. Or you know what? Let me check with Dustin to see if we can do this or not. I thought, damn, who's the therapist? That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Monica, she just talked about how she learned how to set boundaries. And I'm so glad to hear that, Monica, because boundaries, boundaries, boundaries are so healthy for everyone. For everyone, they're important. So I, I commend you, Monica, for, for yeah, she's, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so, you know having a dialogue with Monica. We just need to put her on a mic. <laughs> um, so like I was talking about, let, let yourself pause long enough to, to know what's even going on with you to get that connection going to yourself. And you're going to shake when you start to do this. You're, you're not going to be comfortable. Don't expect that you're going to hear what we're saying. You're going to put it in place and it's going to make everything easier. You're going to be a little bit more anxious first. And then you will get comfortable. You have to practice this long enough in order to get comfortable. 
And then when you do that, when you start to practice stopping long enough to know how you feel, to know what you want, hang on a second. Is someone typing? Because I can hear type, 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 type. I'm hearing something. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Matt, do you know where it's coming from? I don't. I don't feel we're fidgeting with phones or what have you. I, no. I, no. Everybody's perfectly still. That's so, Okay, now it's gone. All right. <laughs> so I'm like, who is typing? Like somebody trying to say something. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, a cricket in the room, right? <laughs> um. So I'm so sorry. I just lost my thought. Sorry. Uh, yeah. You were talking in regards to um, the new freedom that's out there and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to be uncomfortable first. I think that's what I was talking about. You're going to be uncomfortable at first and you're going to be nervous and you're going to be scared because I also think at the root of this is fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, fear of not being loved and cared for. The hardest thing to face when you are a caregiver, a codependent is to see who's really standing in front of you. Is it somebody who really is selfish or narcissistic? Then yeah, they're gonna they're gonna flip the script on you. They're gonna try to make you feel guilty for whatever want, limit, need. No. They're going to get mad. They're gonna make you feel bad about it. But you gotta see that that's the person standing in front of you. That's that that person is not okay. That's not a reflection of you, that's a reflection of them. That's tough. And that means, yeah, you have to mourn. You have to mourn the limits of that relationship. And some people make a decision, if it's a friend that says, I can't do it anymore, I'm getting healthy. And this person is so self-centered and narcissistic that every time I, I talk about myself or have a feeling or a limit, they're mad at me, constantly mad at me. I'm like, well, now if it's a parent or a sibling, you know, you, you, ha you have to take time to redefine that relationship. Wouldn't you agree, Matthew? I agree. I think I'm sitting here and I'm just it, interesting. I mean, it's like the therapist becoming the patient too. And I think just for the listeners, just showing how, yeah. how profound what we're talking about is. And I really want that message to reach everyone who's mm -hmm. listening because setting a limit, allowing ourselves to be ourselves mm -hmm. and separate, you know, kind of, in a sense, defragmenting and becoming our one true authentic self, mm. there are going to be casualties in the way, right? Not in the, not in the obviously the, the the literal sense, but just in terms of you know emotionally and as you were saying, you know, setting limits and sometimes you are going to be kicking and screaming, and it is going to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. because you're rejecting denial, you're rejecting you know, deceit, yeah. you're yeah. rejecting your own air of commission that you have been choosing to not see for so long. Yeah. And that's painful. It's painful to yeah. recognize that, you know what, I, I've kind of been, I've been sitting on the sidelines for my own game of my life for a while. And I just, I have to be, I have to get back in and I have mm -hmm. to start, you know, engaging more and I have to start investing more you know and i talk about in terms of just like the emotional bank and you know in making emotional investments so that you don't get nervous when your emotional bank is low on currency uh, 
and that's what keeps people in the 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 throes of their denial, the throes of the codependency. Sometimes is that when I feel like my bank account is getting low, right? What do we do? And obviously, we all we have spoken, we have disclosed our past, right? And kind yes. of like just. The, you know, feeling like at any moment I'm going to have two pennies in my account, right? And it's like, so no different than emotionally, right? Feeling the the lack of that emotional wealth, it throws us into the throes of, you know, kind of a scarcity cycle, a deprivation cycle. Yeah. And, yeah. But it also, it enables the codependency. It enables us to stay in that codependency. And so, like you yeah. said, having somebody who can cares enough about you and it's hard it's difficult and sometimes there is the growing pains but that's part of the becoming your true self is to stretch it's to you know bend it's to be flexible it's to you know to kind of have all those you know pilates and yoga moves with our emotions and our you know our thoughts and our feelings so that we can continue to invest so that we don't have to be scared. And, you know, you, you've talked about this before is that, you know, when you're not afraid, you're not afraid. And when you don't, when you're, when you're in that frame of mind of not being afraid, then you can have, and I refer to that as our spiritual armor. So that when you're, you know, approaching a room and using your, you know, your example, you mentioned earlier, Mary Grace is that, you know, doing a reference point, right? So the, you know, the, if I were to take myself, the Matthew of 2018 going into a room versus the Matthew going into a room 2020, right? And what are those differences? What do you recognize about how little you are from yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think this is something that, you know, I learned over, I mean, my therapist many years ago, but it just didn't click until he repeated it years later. Um, <laughs> was, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, there's in a week and my thing is is not pay attention to this and even in my friendships and i i mean and that's a sign of a good friend too is that you can talk about these things without the friend being hurt that you know or feeling like you're betraying them by asking a question like oh you mean you don't want to be around me no 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 that's not it this is a this is a place of healing and so for me it's like recognizing and kind of checking doing those check-ins and recalibrating and saying to myself like okay how's the me how's the me doing am i am i like you said mary grace too is that how you sustain yourself being a healer being a spiritual walker being you know this you know a therapist a, a, being you know a, a person of service you have to think about yourself you have to fill yourself up yeah. you have to have a tank that yeah. sometimes just runneth over because you're giving to yourself mm-hmm. so that you can give exactly. to others in the community that we are in. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, even like, you know, when we were talking earlier and I mentioned how, you know, and even in previous um, episodes where, you know, Barbara and all of us, we were talking about, you know, permission to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like, again, that's another way to just check in with the me and knowing that you're going into a vulnerable space and letting people know, like, listen, I'm going to be vulnerable. And if you don't want to, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more. <laughs> I'm done. Like, you got to either be there, and if you stay, then we're about to get vulnerable real quick. That's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. That, you know, and I love the tip that you gave because for a 
codependent like me, if you attach taking care of self to being better for other people, yeah. I become very receptive to that. Yes. So as yes. we were talking about, you gotta fill up your tank so that you, you can, can be abundant be for others. I'm like, yeah, I can hang with that. Because yeah. again, it sounds weird in a way. But I'm like, hey, if it's going to work to make you take better care of yourself, if it's going to work to make you set the boundaries, then frame it like that. Frame it in, in the language that you understand. And if all you know is service, 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 then by all means, frame it that way where you say, you need boundaries. You need to set your limits. You need to learn that you know is you know. You need to learn to fill your cup so that you can be better for other people. Yeah. I say, you know what, it's a win-win situation. Yes. And that's how I had to be. Uh, yeah. And that- I've even had to say, because I'm very, I'm not good at receiving gifts. I'm not good at receiving, period. Mm-hmm. It's because, again, she ain't. It's thing. And if you grew up not knowing that you can get given stuff just because you're, you're amazing as you are, not because you've done something for someone, mm-hmm. again, it takes some getting used to. Um, yes, yes. That. You know, it's it's so wonderful to have a great heart. It's beautiful to be a caring, compassionate person, and it, it and and I I still work at balance. That if you don't if you don't keep your tank at least at half the quality of how you are there for other people is not good. It's just not. And you, you do not want to model, you know, when I work with a codependent or I think about my own kid, my own daughter or my son, um, I don't want them to be servants to people. I want them to have a self and I have to, I have to model for them to have a self and I work, people listen, (laughs) I work really hard at what I'm talking about. I, 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 I still screw up. I, I can forget what, what I need to know. Um, but it's not about being perfect ever, ever. And, and the vulnerability and the mistakes are so wonderful and so beautiful. You, you just have to learn how to fall in love with them. And being afraid doesn't mean something bad's going to happen. Having anxiety doesn't mean a bad thing. You have to get used to how to work with this physical body. And that this physical body has emotions to alert you that something's wrong, that you have a limit, that you don't like what somebody's doing. You get angry when somebody says something that your body goes, I don't like that. I think that was a put down. Well, you got to learn how to work with the physical body. The phys- you know, in, in our field, and, and Matthew, if you want to jump in here, our field, we forget the physical body and, and how key it is to mental health. Because that, you know, when I have somebody sitting in my office that I can tell they're, they're talking about something that's really upsetting and they're not, they're not aware of how upset they are. And I'll say, you know what? I want you to take a deep breath. Now feel your physical body for a moment. Where are you feeling the stress? And a person will say, oh, I'm, I'm, my jaw is killing me. I say, oh, that's good. 
So you need to know what, when you bite down and when your jaw gets tight, what is it telling you? Well, I'm stressed out. What are you stressed out about? What's another feeling? Oh, I'm angry or I'm scared. Okay, let's explore what you're scared at. That physical body gives off indicators that's trying to talk to you. Don't damn it for happening. Love it. Welcome it. Say, okay, I've got this problem. I used to, when my codependency was really bad, when I'd sit at a bunch, you know, with a bunch of women at a table socializing, I would curl my toes and tighten my legs so bad that it, you know, an hour or two in, I'd go, oh my God, I can't feel my legs. And after a while, I thought, why am I doing that? Well, I would, I realized, oh my God, it's when they start to talk about their problems and they look at me and I know I'm in a catch 22. I can't fix their problems. I'm their friend. Number two. I just can support them and empower them to trust themselves. But I would get tense and my toes would get tight. And then I thought, okay, pay attention to that. When I'm sitting at a table with a group of women that are talking, I'm going to relax my shoulders and I'm going to give myself permission to not say anything. I'm going to give myself permission to breathe. I'm going to give myself permission to go to the bathroom if I need to. I'm going to give myself permission to pause and say, you know what? I'm not sure. Can I sit with that one for a minute? A key thing with codependency is impulsivity. Please know there's a struggle with impulsivity with codependency. Slow down. Slow down your responses. You're bright. You have a big, beautiful, loving heart. Slow down enough to get more accurate. And the more you take care of yourself, the more accurate you will be the more accurate you will be and the more you will have to be able to support someone else. You cannot fix anybody. I work with therapists all the time. I can't tell you how often I will say this. You got to know when they walk in that room, you can't fix it. You cannot. You do not have that power. You are not God. You can support them. We have a tool chest. Nice big one, hopefully. You can hand them a tool and say, I think if you put this tool to work, it'll help. Now, some clients will drop the tool. So you hand them another one. They'll drop that one. I give them so many times when they're dropping the tool and I say, what the hell are you doing here? Why are you here? I can't fix you. I just hand you the tools, but you got to put them to work. I'm not going to work harder than you do because I know there will be no progress. I will then, when I cross that boundary, I will be enabling that client and I will make them perceive me as a parent and I can never be somebody's parent. I can't be God. I can't be a parent. My job is to empower you to change yourself. But if you don't use the tools, there's nothing I can do. And I will say, please save your money. Don't come. Come when you're ready to pick up a tool and put it to work. That took years of practice to get to that point. I did not do that for many years in the beginning. And I'd have indigestion all the time. I'd leave work and I'd have indigestion all the way home and go, what the hell is the matter with me? I'm swallowing everybody's stuff. I'm feeling overly responsible for everything. I don't have that kind of power. You will never, ever have that kind of power, people. And when we get scared, when a codependent gets scared, oh my Lord, watch us jump into action. Watch our analytical skills then. But what you have to realize is you have to ask yourself, what's, where's the fear coming from? What are you afraid of? Are you facing a situation in front of you that you don't have the power to fix and it's really hard to watch? Then you got to grieve that. 
You got to grieve that. You got to let go. People, you know, we've talked about free will. Everybody's got free will. They get to choose where their life is going to go and what they're going to do. And some people choose to do nothing and to not change and to repeat the same problems over and over again. It's hard to watch. We've all, all three of us have watched that, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's draining to watch. I have clients who, I had a client one time in addiction who I was watching him kill himself. And, and I, I said to him, get out of my office. I don't ever want to see you again. I said, I cannot take watching someone die. I said, I can't. I care about you. I'm not a detached therapist. I care about you. I said, and listen, you son of a bitch. I'm not going to watch you die. I said, I can't see you anymore. Don't come back. He, he looked at me and goes, are you kidding? I said, I am dead serious right now. I said, I'm not taking your phone calls. I'm not doing nothing. I said, you go into a residential program for a good six months, I'll consider a phone call. I said, but you got to go, dude. Every week I'm in here telling you, be careful. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, the guy left. I got a phone call from a therapist. He was laughing on the phone. He said, are you Mary Grace? I said, yeah. He goes, I don't know what the hell you told this person, but you scared the shit out of him. I said, now, I didn't do that just to be funny. I did it seriously because I'm telling you right now who's sitting in front of you is going to die. I've been in addiction long enough. You've got nine lives. He had already gone through eight and a half. He's going down. I said this to another addict. I said, look, I can't see anymore. That man went out, drove, and killed two people within three days of that appointment. There's nothing I can do. If the person in front of you won't listen, stop trying. Let them fall down. And Matthew will tell you too, fear is a great motivator. Hardship is a great motivator. Sometimes people have to fall to get up. Yeah. <laughs> you have to... It's, it is a funny form. It's, it's a, an odd formula that we experience fear and, you know, hardship. But, you know, as I'm here, as I'm listening to you talk to, and I, I also talk about, you know, with my clients, and you were mentioning, you know, the biofeedback, right? How our body um, talks to us, how our body communicates with us, and, um, you know, how we learn to set these limits and say, like, listen, I can't, I'm not going to be an innocent bystander. Yeah. I'm not going to watch while you continue to destroy your life and potentially destroy someone else's life. Mm -hmm. And it's scary because, again, of our own codependency, right? And so setting those limits, and it's interesting because I just, you know, I've, I've said to people, it's like, Oh, I want this in my life. And I want to have a better relationship with this. And I say, I can't do that for you. <laughs> they'll look, you know, the, <laughs> they'll look at the patient will look at me and it's like, I'm not saying, I said, please don't mistake what I'm saying. I want to help empower you. Like you said, Mary, I want to help empower you to have the best, to make the best decisions, to have the most positive outcomes and to have the most thriving life. Yeah. But I can't force and I can't create 
I am not omniscient. I cannot make anything happen in your life that you don't want to make happen for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And that's correct. part of, you know, again, and I think it's something, you know, you've talked about in other episodes too when we talked about just like, you know, setting limits and stuff like that. And it's mm-hmm. like knowing that even ourselves, right, when the therapist becomes the patient, where it's like we aren't perfect, but we tend, we try to work and practice on these things. So, you know, it's like when we're talking about our relationship or we use examples on the show here, it's like, well, these are things that, you know, we've been working on in our lives for 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years. And so, you know, a lot of it is, it's the experience. And that's part of what it is, is like, the feelings might be the same, but the experiences can be different. So mm-hmm. if you hear our experience, try something yourself in your own unique way and see if that experience will free you and liberate you. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's well put, Matthew. I mean, you know, the other this came up as I was listening to you, Matthew. The other thing for people who are struggling to have selves and to take care of themselves, especially now, is you have to know that there is not one friend that can give you everything. And I know that for some people when they're trying to have a self and they're trying to get to know more people who can give and not just take that you can get caught up in a trap where you, the, the first person who's your friend or the person who's starting to respond, well, you'd hope that they can do everything and they can't, you need a village. You need a village. You might have some friend that can laugh with you really well great. You might have a friend that, boy, when your heart hurts, they're such good listeners and they're there for you, but they don't like to do fun and different things. That's okay. Find your support system. I I oftentimes will refer a person to Al-Anon or ACOA and I say, look, there's nothing better than a group of codependents in a room because no one gets neglected. Ever. Everybody go and take care of somebody. Mm-hmm. And if, if you don't know where to start, maybe start there. Get get a book on codependency. Codependent No More is a great one. It's important. Um, you know, we've talked about books on narcissism. You know, learn about it. Because if you're really, really codependent and people start really having a problem... When you start saying no or having limits or and they flip the script on you, learn about gaslighting. Learn about narcissism. And by by reading those books or getting the books on tape or however they, you know, audio, whatever, um, you're going to realize more and more it's not because your needs and wants are hurting somebody. It's because you have somebody in front of you who's selfish. And that's not okay. And if you have to be in relationship with someone selfish, you better build that community around you so your tank gets filled up. It's important. You cannot keep draining and draining the well and expect the well to still have water in it. It doesn't work like that. And, you know, to my two compadres here, 
you know, we're all, you know, such caregivers and such caretakers to these beautiful souls that are sitting next to me. I just want you to know how valuable you are and that I appreciate your friendship. You, you, you know, we, we hopefully fill each other's tanks. You know, oh, I do. I, I love you guys very, very much. Be a real bitch. <laughs> Dude. No, I, I have my days. I have to say, like, I, this is, it's, it's wonderful when we can take our masks off. Yeah. And that's, you know, I second what you say with Barbara and you, it's like the idea that we can, there's something to be said about being ourselves and learning to be ourselves and learning what that self is. Obviously what we've been talking about this show yeah, and so many other shows too, but you know, taking our mask off, the, there's yeah. no need for our mask no. anymore. They, and, and it doesn't so, work. It doesn't work. Masks doesn't don't work. work. It confuses so the shit out of people. Yeah. The ability to, you know, have needs and have wants. We never, I never, you know, we never have to feel like one is giving more than the other because we're all going to give. Yeah. But we're all both, we're all of us are filling up our tanks too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to my dear, dear friend, Barbara, girl, we got to keep that tank full. We do. You, you know, you're, it's so your light, let me tell it's, it's you, so your light goes off when you are saying and doing nothing. Nothing. You do not have to do anything. You can sit quietly and your value and your light just beams. You ain't got to prove nothing to nobody. Truly. <laughs> That's right. That's right, girl. Dying. Um truly uh and anybody out there who's listening who feels like their tank is empty and they're weary and they're tired and they're resentful and they're losing hope in humanity and they're losing hope in people you know having hearts they're out there we are here we are here with our hearts open we are here to support you we're here to remind you that you are not alone especially in these difficult times we do care. And if you need to speak with us, please get on Facebook Messenger and send me a message. Give us a comment. Um, look me up on my website, you know, Psyched by MG, uh, because we do not want you hurting alone. We do not want your tank to be empty. We want to be a part of the solution. We want to be a part of filling it. And, um, you know, the very least, we, I can recommend a different book. I can, you know, send you to a group. You know, we all are here to definitely help encourage you and to remind you that there are really, really good people on the earth. Um, we're hearing a lot of bad crap right now, but it is not the majority. Um, it, I, I think just some of these really selfish people have big freaking mouths. But anyway, that's a sidebar. Um, and on that note, I just saw the time, um, you know, but we do want you to definitely get a hold of us and to be inspired and to know that you're not alone and connection is the key to good mental health. So please take care and we'll see you next time. Bye everyone. Love you guys. See you again.